Welcome everybody to the latest in our series of ISE podcasts. Today we're going to be talking about all things um, student development. So we're going to be focusing on the development side of um, our work at the moment. Um, and the idea of this podcast came from a conversation that Nadir, who you're going to hear from very shortly, and I were having earlier in the year. Um, we had a conversation that just as it does, you know, expands out into a number of things. We both thought, you know what, that'd be a great idea to, 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 to build that into a podcast. So that's what we're here doing today. So my name's Steve Isherwood. I'm Chief Executive of the ISE. Um, if this is your first time to an ISE podcast, welcome. Um, please share the content as much as you can with your colleagues. We're very keen, you know, just to increase the understanding of the issues facing our industry. So please do share it amongst your, your teams. Also go back onto our website because you'll see there are a whole series of other podcasts that might float your boat on, on various subjects, everything to do with student recruitment and development. Um, but let's get into the into the content of today. We've got a really interesting sort of conversation lined up. So Nadir, would you like to introduce yourself and just let everybody know who you are? Of course. Thank you very much, Stephen. So ple pleasure to be here today. Thanks for inviting me along. Uh, I'm Nadir Ruthri. Um, I am uh, work at IBM UK. Um, I'm Deputy Programme Lead and, and, and a People Manager on our Graduate Consulting Programme at IBM UK. And been with IBM for oh, quite a long time, over 15 years works in kind of HR roles, consulting and management. What's quite nice was the other day, I was actually on a campus, a real campus. It was uh, nothing to do with work, but I took my elder daughter to a university open day. Um, it was just so nice to see people. I've been on campus a couple of times over the last two or three weeks, and um, it's, um, it feels unusual at first, but then it's amazing how quickly you get back into the normal flow of things. Um, exactly. It's really exactly. struck me actually in the visits I've made how, um, how much universities have to cope with in terms of getting you know students into campus what they're doing delivering so anyway, that's a whole other tangent so let's not go there so um yeah um, we're going to be talking today about development so now do you want to just give us a little bit of context you know around ibm's development program just so people you know have an idea of where you're coming from so you know scope of the program structure duration that just that kind of stuff Absolutely. So, you know, we've got a, a large program in the UK. In fact, you know, uh, multiple programs, if you like. And over kind of the last over 25 years, we've recruited hundreds of graduates, right, uh, on, onto our different programs. So I specifically work on the, the consulting part. So the, the graduate program for consulting. It's a program that uh, is for up to two years. Um, it covers all parts of IBM consulting um, at a very high level. It covers, you've kind of got two areas uh, at a high level, cloud and business transformation consulting. And then that then breaks down into lots of different kind of specialist uh, service lines and practices. I'm really, really pleased that recently, uh, it's not like we planned this or anything, but we, we were delighted that we kind of got uh, one graduate employer of the year with target jobs at IBM UK, which is a testament to all the hard work everyone puts in across the different graduate programs. But I say it's almost like we planned it that way because the uh, the award ceremony was just the other week, and uh, then we happened to open our roles just after that, which which were open for a short sprint last week in consulting. So that was pretty handy for us from an from an attraction point of view, put it that way. <laughs> yes, very good time. It was good to see everybody back together at those awards as well. Congratulations on the on the win. You talked about recruiting in a short sprint. Is that the reality at the moment of the of the jobs market? Is so competitive that actually yeah. you keep your applications open for a relatively short period of time now? Yeah, that's something we've 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 kind of moved to in, in recent years, actually. Uh, so we've moved away from that model of kind of opening at a September, October time. And then, you know, roles are still open in the Christmas holidays and into the new year. So rather than having that kind of long, win, you know, that, that wide window open for applicants, 
we've moved to, in IBM, we talk a lot about agile and, and agile working in an agile way, a flexible way, as, as I'm sure a lot of companies do. So we thought, okay, um, we need to do that in recruitment as well. So it's very much a short sprint. So we were open for a week. Part of that is we have to tell everybody up front, right, that, by the way, we're going to be open for this short spell. Don't, don't kind of hang around. And, and, and this is when we're going to open. This is when we're going to shut. But that seems to work really well. And, and what we try to do is ensure that we can then move candidates through the process quickly rather than have, say, a candidate apply in September, October, and then they're hearing back from us after quite a while. And it's a long, drawn-out process. No one enjoys that from a candidate experience point of view. Uh, or, in fact, even from a recruitment point of view and the managers who have to kind of work through the process. So we try and keep it agile. Yeah, I agree. Long, drawn-out processes are, are not great. Just one of the questions, this is a personal one out of interest, really, because many, many years ago, too many years ago to remember, I actually, I used to recruit into the consulting bit. Funny enough, Coopers and Librand, before they even became part of PwC, that's how far back I'm, I'm going. And um, yeah. I always really enjoyed it, because I think consulting um, is a really exciting, um, interesting business to be in. But um, there was always, I always thought the students, you know, more, almost more than any other role, had a, a bit of a misunderstanding about what the jobs were. They all thought, you know, I'm going to be flying business class around the world, you know, sat in, sat on the penthouse of, of you know, some grand office in, in New York, you know, dealing only with the CEO. And um, is that still yeah. a reality? Do you think students have a bit of a better idea of, of what consulting is now? Or is that something you've still got to really try and get across to, um, to, to, to people? Yeah, I think that there is still that challenge. And, and, you know, we do our best to be as authentic as possible in kind of telling people that it's, it's not quite like that. Certainly, you know, maybe not early on in your career. Um, and of course, in the pandemic, you know, everyone's been working virtually. Things are slowly opening up a little bit, which is a bit unusual for consulting because it normally involves travel. But yeah, normally kind of UK based travel and so on. So we encourage all of our uh, team who are talking to students out on campus and um, to just be as authentic as possible about what it entails and, and explain that, yes, you need to be mobile, there will be travel, but maybe not to some of these necessarily these glamorous locations or maybe not, not early on uh, in, in, in your career. Just explaining what consulting is, is, is definitely something that we still find a challenge and, and it's important we do it. But the, what we try and do is tell graduate stories about, you know, the different projects people are on, the, the, the difference they're making and what their day-to-day -day can be like and how varied it can be and so on and, and and those stories include you know also what's what's not so good you know what's what what's quite challenging about the profession um i just think if you're straight with people you you, you get the, that buy-in and if it sounds like this glossy thing and you know uh everything's perfect all the time people don't really buy into that yeah i think most people are fully aware that yeah nothing is is, is quite like that I've mentioned IBM quite a lot over the last few months because I think it's really great the way that you stuck with your placement programs, your intern programs, and still delivered those, um, whereas some employers have had to scale back. Because we started talking a bit about the program, what it's to be a consultant. So I just wondered, you know, what are the core objectives for your program? You know, what are your aims for the trainees themselves and also for, for IBM as, a, as an organisation? Okay, so I think some of the key ones, um, helping students transition to corporate life and to consulting life in our program, uh, coming from academia into the into a very different environment. And, and one of the things that's really important to us and has become increasingly important is as part of that up to two year graduate program to be, you know, to offer candid feedback, to be very open, frank, transparent, caring enough to be candid, really, and, um, you know, creating that type of culture where we can give feedback and people will grow 
because that's ultimately what the program's all about. But we're trying to equip our graduates with, with consulting skills, with technical skills, people skills, and I'll talk more about that a little bit later in the, in the discussion, try to instill a culture of continuous learning um, through the training, through the on-the-job on the projects and so on. We're really fortunate, actually, that, that there's now actually a chartered uh, status in consulting. Um, and IBM was kind of one of the founding companies with the, the Chartered Management Institute and the Management Consultants Association to create this, this kind of gold standard in consulting. So we have um, our graduates kind of in their two-year graduate program uh, signing up to that and then starting the journey towards chartered status. And that chartered status didn't exist before in consulting. So we're, we're really pleased that, that that opportunity is there. You know, we, we try and get our graduates onto, uh, you know, real real projects very early on after their induction. And uh, if, you're, if you're going to the, I don't know if this is a good example, going to the petrol station because of the petrol shortages recently. But, you know, to, to see that, you know, hey, one of my graduates was working on this particular app so you can pay for your petrol or diesel um, or working on, you know, public sector things around, you know, COVID or Brexit, et cetera. So it's so a real, real projects that make a difference. It's, it's about leadership. It's trying to create, you know, so some people will go into quite senior positions and, and, and leadership positions within the organization. It, you know, it's definitely, you know, very much part of the business plan, hiring graduates and the kind of investment for the future. Some other things, I mean, you know, ensuring the wellness and the, you know, the well-being and the happiness of the graduates. I think that's really, really important. If we kind of if I go back a few years, we wouldn't speak so much at, at induction about well-being. We always did. Uh, but in recent years, we, we talk about it a lot. And uh, we have mental health first aiders within the organization. I've done, I've done that training. In fact, I did my refresher training just the other day because you know, it, it, it's tough out there. It's tough in consulting. It's not easy. And uh, we, we need to make sure that the graduates kind of uh, are looked after. They have people to turn to. Another thing that's quite interesting and can be a bit challenging in consulting because people are out there working on different projects is to kind of engender this sense of belonging. So we have different communities across you know our programs such as dni sustainability well-being and there's a whole host of others and another thing i think that's really important and i'm sure it applies to all organizations is that that focus that's put on dni fostering and promoting inclusion in hiring and development and of course that then has a longer term benefit to the business if we can be you know really on it with our hiring and making it diverse and inclusive and then treating people well and you know, they stay with the organization that then helps to solve some of the challenges around diversity and inclusion. So that's a really, really important topic at IBM. Um, we have something in IBM called the B Core Badge, where people do a lot of learning around diversity and inclusion, but actually take part in, you know, real events to kind of put their learning into practice. And actually, we were at a Bright Network event recently. I mentioned our hiring, and this was a Black Heritage Future Leaders, where some of our graduates and alumni were uh, there, and uh, we had an exec on a panel as well. In order to focus on this topic and obviously encourage applicants from from Black heritage backgrounds, so so those are those are just a few of the things that that, that we focus on. Wow, that's a that's a lot of things to focus on. Um, I, I was going to ask you about um, it struck me what you said about the candid feedback, which is probably one yeah. of those things that is easier to sort of say in a sentence than it is to put into practice. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about how you how you, I guess you can make that happen in a constructive way without you know, because I, I can I think some of the places where I worked in where constructive feedback or candid feedback has not always been delivered in a very constructive way, shall we say? No, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a really important topic, and uh, some people might say it's a pretty obvious one to be open with people, to be honest, and you know, help them to grow and so on. But 
in reality, it can be quite difficult to have those conversations sometimes. So th there's a book that I read, I think last year called Radical Candor by Kim Scott, who's an who was an American IT executive. And she kind of uh, trademarked this radical candor concept where look, you care, you care personally, therefore you challenge directly. And on a very practical level, what I, what I tend to do and my colleagues, when we have our graduates joining just on day one, we'll have one-on-one, -on -one, you know, we'll have conversations with them. And we'll, we'll almost start to develop a bit of a social contract that look, you know, what, why am I here as your people manager? I'm here to help you grow and get the best out of the graduate program. You know, why are you here? And then the answer tends to be, you know, I'm here to learn and grow and so on. So, you know, we, we therefore need to kind of build that relationship where we have a level of openness, where we can talk about different things. And then, so therefore I, I, I have a conversation and my colleagues did to try and get that permission uh, from the graduates that look, we can be open with you, right? You know, you do want to know uh, about something where you need to improve, even if it seems like a bit of an awkward conversation. Um, and so far, nobody's turned around and said, no, 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 we don't want you to give us that feedback. But I think the key to it is that, you know, you care personally, so you challenge directly. Uh, you, it, it's very easy to kind of get into that. I think Kim Scott in her book calls it ruinous empathy, where you think, oh, I don't want to bring that up because I might upset that graduate or I might, you know, and we don't want to have tears or upset, etc. I think you're really generally going to get that if you're, there's another category here, obnoxious aggression. If you're too direct and then you, you know, you don't say it in a caring and a, in, in a nice way. So um, we have these conversations up front. And of course, the trust doesn't kind of come immediately. But the more you get to know the, the graduates and, you know, they get to know you, etc., then hopefully they understand that you've got their back. And, and if you're telling them something that's a little bit challenging, it's for, for their own good, because, you know, the last thing they want is to be, I don't know, in a promotion situation in the future. And, and something gets brought up that says, hey, you know, you haven't got your promotion for this reason. And, and, and maybe a graduate saying they're thinking, hang on, wouldn't my graduate manager have noticed that the people I worked with? And why didn't they tell me? Because, you know, maybe I would have got that promotion if I'd been able to then work on that issue. So um, it's not an easy topic, but it's one where we're really keen on. And, um, you know, very interestingly, Stephen, uh, in the book, Radical Candor, the, the author talks about, you know, she's been around the world to different countries. And she kind of says, in which country do you think the people are the most radically candid? I don't know. Would, would you would you hazard a guess on that? Oh, I Oh, that's, that's a really difficult. I think Americans tend to be relatively open. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember where America came in her list, but um, shall I reveal the answer? France, is it France? Because the French can be pretty blunt sometimes. It, it was Brits. It was Brits. Really? And, 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 and I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. But, you know, uh, she said that in her experience, in Sasha's experience, she tended to find that the Brits are pretty good at this. So I think we can be, but sometimes we, we can be better as well. And it's so natural to fall into that ruinous empathy. I remember early on in my career, I was like that. It was like, oh, well, can I really say that? Um, but what I've learned is that, yeah, if you, if you say it nicely, it kind of gives you that permission <laughs> to, say, to say what you like. Uh, and as long as people realize you've got their back. But uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised that Brits came top in this uh, in the book. But well, wow, okay. so too self-deprecating, too self-deprecating to take a, <laughs> to a positive. One of the things when we caught up early in the year when we talked about your program, you were telling me about the manager side of of what you do, um, and, that, sure. and that particular manager model that you that you use, which um, struck me as something as that something I've really come across before. So, um, do you want to expand on that a little bit and just tell our audience kind of you know how that how that piece works and how it core part is of, of your program. 
Sure. So um, this manager model, it's something that applies to all of our early professional programs. So, so of course, I'm representing the graduate consulting program, but we've got other graduate programs and, uh, you know, we hire a lot of interns. You referenced that earlier, apprentices, etc. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really kind of pivotal part of how we operate. In the graduate consulting program, for example, I'm one of those people managers, part of this model. Um, and my job is essentially to, um, whilst the graduates are in the program, to, to be their line manager, to be their people manager. So I'm responsible for coaching, developing, supporting, um, and just really ensuring that they kind of get an optimal start to their career and any challenges they have during the program, they can come to me and talk through. Pastoral care is also a part of the role. So uh, that, 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 that's really important and has been even more important in the pandemic when we've only been able to you know, uh, see each other virtually. Uh, things are changing a little bit, but that's been the case for, for a lot of people's you know, starts in IBM. In the, in, so keeping in touch and making sure people are okay is, is, is absolutely vital. I guess the role we do as a people manager is distinct from the task manager role where you know, a graduate in consulting, say, will be on a particular project with a client and they'll get, take day-to-day -day direction from their task manager. Um, but that won't be their kind of line manager in the system who looks after them. So, so that, that's, that's what we have uh, in IBM. Um, and yeah, the whole kind of candid feedback piece feeds into that very well um, in terms of how we do the performance management. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a really good model. It works really well. And it's something I really enjoy as part of, part of my role. Is this something that, um, I don't know if this is still a feature of, of consulting life, I know it, it, it used to be in previous organisations where I've worked, whereas the role is by its nature project based and mm -hmm. you will move from one project to another, so therefore your line manager is not always consistent, whereas you know we can all think of other jobs, whereas actually yes, my, my manager until they leave or move on or promoted stays as my line manager. Is that still the case in the consulting world and is that something you need to need to factor in so as, as people move from absolutely from kind of project to project they will they, they will then be taking instruction from a different person from a different task manager so so what we have is with with our model uh for the graduate program for up to two years the the people manager someone like myself stays consistent you know with, with the graduate moving from project to project and having different task managers and different teams and so on and, and getting feedback from those different stakeholders but I will, you know, myself and my colleagues wear that, wear that constant, if you like, and we remain the, 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 the people manager, the development manager, and we, we take in the feedback and we uh, do people's appraisals, we help them with their promotions, all those types of things. As I said, we provide pastoral care. So I guess if we didn't exist, then yes, people would just be kind of going from kind of task manager to task manager, you know. Yeah, that becomes tricky, doesn't it? It does, it does, it does. But but even then, when people leave the graduate program, they they will have a a consultant who is their people manager, and they may be on the same project as them, but they might be on a you know a completely different project. So I think there's still that consistency. Um, but I think what's really nice about the way we do it is you know right at the start of your career, you're making that transition to academic uh, from academic life into corporate life consulting. It's not easy. So to just have that constant person who focuses on you, you know, is is, is really good. You know, I'm not distracted by consulting. Well, I was once upon a time a consultant, but I'm focused on that role. And then I have some other projects that I do as part of the graduate program. Yeah, I think, I think it is a model that's, that's appreciated and, and is, is a worthwhile investment.
do you have to because again i'm thinking back to previous roles i've had and um maybe this isn't the case at, at ibm but actually there's inconsistency sometimes with what you might call a, a task manager and and that culture of making sure you get good feedback and good engagement that, that you and your role can then use is that something that that you know when you think about running a program at ibm you've had to in a sense train the managers that are out there in those in those business roles or is it something that ibm has been pretty good at in terms of its overall business culture i think it's a it's a mixture i think we're, i think we're pretty good at it but at the same time there'll be new people coming into the organization and and you know lots of lots of change etc so i think it's really important that as a people manager i can have that dialogue with the with the task manager and and, and talk about feedback and, and and how we deliver it and concepts like you know radical candor for some people that will be like well that's pretty obvious right that's what we'd normally do for others it might be something uh new to them they might not be that experienced in kind of giving feedback and and being candid etc so uh, sometimes i almost think of it as because i've got two daughters at school think about the kind of um you know when you go to the parents evenings and so on you know the, the teachers talk about that partnership between parents and, and teachers and you, you want the best for the student and i just sometimes think about the graduates kind of being like the the, the, the students the, the pupils in school and then you know the, the you've got the teachers on one side you've got the parents i don't know maybe i'm starting to compare my role to being a parent i shouldn't really but it's just that kind of partnership between myself as a people manager and and the task managers so that we can ensure the best for the uh, for the graduates. So I think it works better and it works well when I'm I have a dialogue going with 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 the task manager, and we can talk about things like feedback and and, and so on. Yeah, I think that's a good point you make actually. And you're right. There's there's a danger the school analogy feels a bit too controlling, but you know, it's interesting because some of the um, I guess outside our industry, you hear the headlines saying, oh, you know, employers are unhappy with graduates. They don't have all the right skills. And actually, we we survey this data we do ask directly you know school oh i mean the, the next survey is coming out in a few weeks but the data shows that on the whole employers are very happy with uh, mm. with the students they hire whether they're sort of school leaders coming out of an apprentice program or, or or graduates and um i think that's part of it because you've got to invest the time you've got to recognize that you are hiring people with relatively limited work experience even if they've done maybe a placement year or a, you know it is limited compared to um some business that might have slightly, slightly grayer hair and i think i agree i think it's recognizing that and understanding that you're transitioning people from an education system into a work environment and they're and they're different things and it's got to be a transition it's not a you know a step out of one directly into into the other yeah, no, I agree. I agree. That transition takes a bit of time and for the graduates to get kind of get used to uh, the world of work. And in our case, consulting, which in itself is quite a maybe a unique profession where you move from projects to projects. And, you know, there's, there's the mobility aspect, which is coming back in slowly, you know, as, as regulations around the pandemic have kind of loosened and so on. So, uh, yeah, no, there's a real recognition that there is a transition. And I think that's why I think I have the role that I have and my colleagues, we have this role to help the graduates settle into corporate life and into consulting life. Agreed. Just coming towards the end of this podcast, I thought um, I'd ask you a bit more about uh, maybe the macro level, a bit more sort of, you know, future facing, you know, what should those like yourselves working in development and um, be thinking about and in our previous conversations you if i remember you suggested sort of two to three areas where you think the future focus should be um, do you want to just expand on those a little bit for us yeah absolutely so um 
I mean, I was thinking about these areas and they're all to do with uh, people skills, really. I really don't like the term soft skills. I try not to use it because it implies that, oh, it's easy and, it, and that these skills aren't easy. Um, so it really does feature around people skills. And I was, you know, looking at different sources, external sources like a Bright Network report this year, you know, what, what what's the kind of top skill in, in their report that, that employers are looking for? What's at the top of the list? It's communication skills. I was looking at another report, the 2020 Future of Job Reports from the World Economic Forum, and they listed a number of things in 2020, you know, top skills that employers look for. And they didn't specifically talk about communication, but there were some other headings that you know what they're talking about there is communication and, and some other areas as well, like, you know, learning strategies, how people learn, for example. So uh, there's communication, there's learning. And then another one was around resilience. Uh, resilience, self-awareness, emotional intelligence. And I know some of these themes came out in the ICE development survey recently as well. So, so these are some of the things we're thinking about at IBM. I'm sure a lot of graduate employers are, and, and you know, it's kind of borne out by some of these reports. So I drill down a tiny bit more maybe into each of these three areas. So communication skills, it sounds kind of pretty vague and generic, but one of the things that I think is always the case, I remember it was when I started my career, it's, it's not easy to speak up. Uh, when you first start, you, you know, in, in, in your career, uh, you know, graduates can feel like, hey, I'm a, maybe I'm an imposter. Should I really be here? Did they kind of hire me by mistake? You know, am I, am I too junior in my team? You know, can, have I really got the knowledge or credibility to speak up? So I think it's so important that we have kind of psychologically safe environments where people feel they can speak up and they can give their opinion. And I remember somebody telling me early on in my career, they were quite polite about it, but they said, by the way, you know, you're paid to have an opinion. I think when I was in a meeting, when I didn't say that much, and I've told my graduates that countless times, it's very apt for consulting, but I, I, that, that still rings in my ears, and it really was a lesson for me. But yeah, you know, there are techniques, and you know, some, we, we talk to our graduates about, you know, well, how, okay, you need to speak up more, you've got some feedback around that. How do you actually do it? I mean, I remember one graduate saying to me once, I actually just have a list, I almost keep a pen and paper, and say, well, I'm gonna speak up two or three times in this meeting. And it sounds a little bit forced, but it just kind of gets got this individual into the habit of speaking up. Sometimes people will, you know, a graduate might pick a friend or a peer or a colleague and say, you know, you be my accountability partner. And, you know, I want to speak up more in meetings and I'm struggling a bit. And, you know, you hold me to account a little bit on that. And we can talk about that later. Sometimes, you know, you can use caveats and things like that. So I, I still do that. And I've been working for a very long time. Look, this might sound a bit silly, but, you know, or I'm new to this, but um, being able to say no as well. You know, graduates, we're telling them to, you know, be keen and have a great attitude and say yes to work and, and so on. But there are times when you have to say no, it really makes sense. And, but it's nerve wracking. And, and, you know, how do you do that? And uh, I was going to mention another book I read during, the, you know, early on in the pandemic called The Power of a Positive No by Dr. William Urey. And he said, you know, there's always some, there's a yes behind your no. There's, you don't just say no for no reason. And once you can articulate that the reason you're saying no, then you know that's fine, but again, graduates will find that quite difficult. Another one, one of my colleagues used to talk about this quite a lot. He'd, in induction, he'd hold up a mobile phone and say, "What's this for?" <laughs> it sounds a bit kind of funny, but essentially, look, it's for talking, right? Yes, lots of people are texting. But it might sound old-fashioned. What do you use your phone for? Uh, for talking to people uh, rather than texting, WhatsApping, paying for things, etc. But there's that hesitation around actually wanting to speak to people and a little bit of nervousness and so on. But the sooner graduates can get into that habit, they get things done so much quicker. And you know, what are some of the strategies to get people to do things like that? I guess that's, that's just a little bit around kind of communication skills. I was gonna say something also just in those other two areas. So, so learning, um, I mean, 
some would argue that that's the reason why graduates are there. It's, it's learning, it's growth. That's what it's all about. By the projects they're on, by the you know the courses they they, they get to do, and so many of them are, them are online now. But you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we need you to do X number of hours of learning and get this certification and learn this on this project, or whatever. It's like, well, how do you actually do it? You know, how do you have that right attitude for learning and and you know fit it in with your day job and and you know. There's so much to it, kind of having a great learning culture. And I remember reading an article once in the Harvard Business Review. It talked about the great training robbery, where you know how much of it actually sticks. You know, companies spend so much on training, and and you know when you go away, how much of it can you implement, and how much of it is, of it is actually stuck? Yeah, I, I think the, the the learning piece is really important, and um, allowing graduates to make mistakes in a kind of safe environment. Hopefully, not the same ones again and again. But being able to kind of creating that psychologically safe environment where people can learn from mistakes, where they can speak up. And, I, and again, referencing another book, I've done a lot of reading in, in, in the pandemic, but there's a chap called Adam Grant who came to one. He's a psychologist from Wharton uh, in the States, and he, he wrote a book called Think Again. Um, and it's all about learning, the process of learning and unlearning. And he talks about kind of learning agility or flexibility, you know, not being wedded to just one way of learning or, or certain concepts. So I know, you know, I'm in IT and consulting and so on, but imagine you're a doctor to say, look, I want to protect health. That's what I'm here to kind of learn about and do. Not that I'm just kind of, I've got these three medicines and these techniques and I'm really, really rigid. You know, if you, if you talk more generically about what you want to do and what your values are, then, you know, you, you give yourself open to more different ways of learning and different things. One phrase I really like that I think comes up in his book is confident humility. As a, as, a, as a graduate to understand that you're not going to get promoted tomorrow you've got to come in you've got to take your time you've got to learn how things work and and, and be able to kind of operate realize that there's something for you to learn that there's something you know in this environment and have confidence but be humble as well because there will be times where you get things wrong and you don't have all the answers and then there was a, an interesting fact i read in his book that you might like steve and i don't know if you agree or disagree with it he said look don't have tunnel vision when you're learning things and you're setting on a on a on a path Try different things on a graduate program uh, rather than saying, I just want to specialize in this and that's it. Because in the book, uh, Adam talks about don't have identity foreclosure, be open minded. And he, he cited some evidence that graduates in unis in England and Wales change career path more than those who've studied in Scotland. I thought, oh, that's really interesting. What's that all about? And he said, you know, in Scotland, you specialize uh, in England, you specialize earlier in your academic career, whereas in Scotland, you have you, it stays more general and you specialize later on. So you, you, you know, you're more open, you try different things before you settle on something specific. So just kind of having that kind of open mindedness to, to, to kind of try different things is important. Yeah, yeah I hadn't thought because I, I, I often think about and people have heard me speak before presentations quite often when I'm at university or talking to students, which is I think we just don't understand how generalist the UK market is. Because if we do, we narrow down on a subject, but then in the jobs market, it's kind of like, you know, you can do any degree background to be a, you know, an IBM consultant or a lawyer. Whereas actually other countries, you can't do that. You know, the, exactly. Scotland, it's a bit like the UK, but it is, there is a close correlation between what you study and what you do. Whereas other territories around the world, it's, it's, it's much more, yeah, decisions are made. You, you're on a tram line much earlier in, in life than you are in the UK. What's twice what you're saying is that learning thing. I mean, it's um, it's a very, um, it's almost becoming a cliche, things like lifelong learning. You've got to keep learning. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, even you yourself, actually, you talk about all the books you're reading. That's not somebody saying, you know, I've got this development bit sorted. I've done it or I don't need to read anything else. I'll do something else in my time. Thank you very much. And um, I just kind of yeah, no, I meet I to, um, 
yeah, who are really doing different things, innovating things. You know, they're the ones that, that read a lot. I think it's Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. I don't know if this is actually true or it's just a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a myth. But they they try not to do meetings till ten o'clock because they spend the first hour or two of every day just reading stuff. Um, yeah, I watched them. Um, yeah. On, on Netflix, um, Inside Bill's Brain, it's called. It's it actually it's quite. It's a good. It's a good. Thing. It talks a bit about his history and a bit about um about the projects he's working on now. But the thing that struck me was his personal assistant. Whenever he's travelling, fills up a tote bag with all the books he's reading at the moment. Now it's quite dry. I mean, it's yeah, it is Bill's brain. I don't think I can. I could quite read the amount of textbooks he's getting through. But that you know, somebody who's a multi-billionaire, you know, sort of top of the tree in some ways still carries you know a whole sack full of books that he's reading through all the all the time so the more that we can teach just to keep learning and reading the you know the um the more equipped people will be for for the for the world as it changes uh yeah 100 percent agree with all of that and you see so many benefits of it and yeah one of the things we talk about these days in ibm is not don't be a know-it-all be a be a learn-it-all have that kind of attitude that look i want to learn and i want to keep on learning and it never ends so no really really agree with that so Stephen, I don't know. I was going to mention the kind of third area just briefly. That, that oh yeah, do you've got a bit of time. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I, can, if I can do that, and then that's really around uh, kind of resilience and how do you cope with stress? How you know the need to be flexible, etc. And obviously that's been so critical, um, you know, during the pandemic and continues to be so. And I think it will it will ties up with emotional intelligence really. And I think this is a topic. It's not just a, a work thing. It's a it's a kind of life skill uh, i think self-awareness came up the importance of self-awareness in the ice development survey this year and you know that, that that's key so i was going to say first of all i think i mentioned you know we talk about well-being a lot in our induction and uh, we, we run a session about being kind to yourself self-care uh, what do you eat you know how many hours do you sleep you know do you don't beat yourself up over mistakes that you make you're going to make mistakes all the, all the things to kind of for for the graduates to start we start a dialogue about looking after yourself and that's really important. Um, I think with emotional intelligence, I, I think we can all do with learning a bit of basic neuroscience, things like, you know, how our brain works in different parts of the brain and how we then react with, with, with other people in, in, our, in our kind of working life. And uh, I certainly remember doing a course where they talked about the amygdala, which is the Greek word for almond. There's a bit of trivia for you. And because it's shaped like an almond. And essentially, that's kind of like the hard drive of your brain. And, you know, if you're a kid and you're bitten by a dog, you're going to be scared of dogs. You're never going to forget that. Uh, or if you're stung by a bee, that certainly happened to me when I was very little. And that, that's always stuck with me. But this kind of emotional part of the brain that works 100 times faster than the actual logical and thinking part of the brain, the negativity bias. And, that, and, and we often kind of get caught up in that. And then, you know, maybe a graduate's in a team meeting and somebody says something and it upsets them a little bit or they don't agree or they get cut off and that they can have an, what is known as an amygdala hijack um, where, you know, get very emotional about it. You stop thinking straight. Things like that have happened to me. And, I'm, you know, I'm far from graduate age where somebody said something in a team meeting that maybe, you know, was very unpalatable. And I was like, oh, how come they said that? And your brain's not working for half an hour. And, you know, what are the techniques to kind of deal with that? You know, have a glass of water, take a little walk, get some fresh air, you know, breathe, oxygenate and things like that. And these things might sound really basic, but I don't think we talk about them enough, you know, and, and I think it's, it's important. Um, it really, really is important. So getting that self-awareness of how you react to things, how, how uh, then awareness of other people. And, and, and one thing I read that really has stuck with me is sometimes we tell ourselves stories. Um, and so they're quite often negative stories. And I had a classic situation the other day where I had to share some good news uh, with some, some people in my team. And uh, I just said, I tried to ring them up 
and I couldn't get hold of some of them. So those I couldn't ring, I sent an instant message saying, do you mind just giving me a quick call a bit later when you're free? But I made sure to say, so they don't worry. But by the way, it's nothing bad. You know, just wanted to have a quick catch up. And then most people were fine with that, but there was an individual who, was, who got worried. And I thought, oh no, I've made them panic now. And said, so, you know, can you tell me a bit more? I'm a bit worried now. So sometimes we just tell ourselves stories um, that it's gonna be something bad or it's going to be, and, and if you can learn to flip pause and flip those stories and be logical for a moment, you can completely change how you're feeling. Yeah, I, th I think a bit of education around emotional intelligence is, uh, I think helps all of, you, all of us, no matter how experienced we are, but particularly graduates when they come into the world of work. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's something that, in a good way, that work actually, emotional intelligence is much more a part of work and how you deal with people and treat people. Somebody once told me a little hack that said, when you're having a really, really bad, daily, difficult situation, fast forward in your brain to six months, and in six months you'll be going, what was that thing that happened six months ago? And if you can put yourself into that mental space, you'll deal with the here and now much more. I thought, uh, yeah, it's not always easy to, to do that. It's more than no back to that. And I agree with the self-awareness. I mean, on survey, you're right to point it out. Um, it comes through as a more and more important thing that employees are looking for. But also it's, I'm hesitating to use the word skills gap because it's overused. As I said, on the whole, employers are very happy with the graduates they hire and students and, and mm -hmm. how they train them. But the bit where they say, actually, they think, oh, Students aren't as good at this as we thought they would be. It is often in that self-awareness box. You know, sometimes they don't know the skills they've got, but also they don't know the skills they need to develop. So I, I agree that that self-awareness piece is, um, yeah, is, is is really important. Probably going to become more important, um, you know, as, as the world of work changes. Absolutely, absolutely. No, and uh, somebody once told me just in a consulting environment, it was actually outside IBM, how important it is as a consultant. Uh, to be self-aware, you're dealing with all different stakeholders from the client, from your internal team, etc. So uh, opening your eyes and being aware of how you come across and the things that make you tick and all sorts of things is is, is important. And I was going to make a, another comment just just to kind of um, wrapping up on some of these kind of three points I made around kind of people skills. I was going to use the term soft skills then and then give myself uh, tell myself off for using that term because, as I said, not my favourite term. But the people skills. Um, Recently, one of our uh, graduates, uh, former graduates, wrote a, a blog on the day of a life of a young consultant for the Management Consultancy Association website. Uh, and, and he was just trying to give uh, you know, students an idea of what's it like to work in consulting, be on a graduate program. And as part of this blog he wrote, it, he quoted, uh, apparently Pablo Picasso said, computers are useless, they can only give you answers. And I thought that was a really interesting quote. Uh, and I thought, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that from IBM, you know, because I work for IBM. But, you know, it's that it's allying the people skills with the technology that, that can be so powerful. I think if you take one of them out, if you take the people out, you take the tech out, there's, there's less power, but you ally them together. And I think when I read that quote, I thought, yeah, you know, the point the points I'm trying to make around the importance of people skills, I, I, I think, link to that quote, because computers on their own. You know, Picasso said they're useless, they only give you answers. It kind of made me chuckle when I, when I saw that. And, uh, uh, and equally, I, you know, sometimes I, I will give examples to graduates of people who are, say, on our graduate program and have gone on to do really well in the company. And I'll say, well, you know, you know that particular uh, exec we've got in the business, you know, do you think they got there because they're so brilliant technically? And by the way, they, probably, they, they might be brilliant technically or they might be pretty good technically. I actually think if you talk to people and you observe that individual, how they operate, and there's, there's a lot of examples of this, it's their people skills, it's how they get on with people, it's how they win people's hearts and minds. That's what's got them to where they are. And, and you know, those technical skills were, were good, they were very good, but it, it's how, they, how you get on with people 
that uh, ultimately will have such a massive impact. So then, you know, when you when you say things like that, and the graduates' ears pick up a little bit, and they they get more interested, and oh, you know, I, I need to make sure my people feel good. Yeah, particularly I think all all I mean, particularly in the consulting business, because at the end of the day, you've got clients, you've got to understand clients, communicate well with clients. You know, if the client mm -hmm. doesn't understand your solution, then it's useless <laughs> you know so i'm um, but i think all walks of life um I, even if they did exist i think the days where you could sit in a little box and just you know just do your work regardless of anybody else around you i i i can't think of a single walk of life really where that's um where that's fine if you want to do your job well you've got to be able to to deal with the people side of stuff i yeah i agree with you entirely and again i think it's something that's becoming more important as we look to the future people skills how you deal with diversity you think of almost any of the issues that we're talking about as an industry quite often you can build it back to how people you know Yes, are self-aware how they communicate with people, their impacts on others, and also being able to put themselves in other people's, you know, shoes and understanding their point of view as well, most definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. Nadia, we'll, we'll call it time there. So I think that's um, a really great conversation. Yeah, I think we've covered everything that I tended to ask. And if not, I'll come back to you and we'll do a, we'll do a version two in a few months' time. Um, really great conversation. Thank you very much. Really appreciate taking time out of your um, very busy day today. Thank you, Stephen. Really enjoyed the conversation. So, as I said at the very start of this, um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, please do share it. Please do share the link with colleagues. Um, you know, the more we can spread the learnings, the better. And also, if you haven't heard any of our other podcasts, just click back onto the website and you'll see others um, covering a whole range of, of subjects. And if you want to pick up on anything that we covered here, please just drop me a note um, through the ISC. Um, thank you very much. And thank you once again, Nadia. <laughs>